uh, we are continuing a series called Loving Logic. Uh, we are a little past halfway. Um, today really starts to shape some things. Um, you know, there's different logical things that we've been going after recently through, through the Word of God and really addressing different areas uh, of Christianity. But you're going to start to feel a page turn. Uh, for many of you, um, this has been a really solid series. Like you've been like, this is, this is exactly what I needed. And then for some of you, it's been like, this is, this is a tough series for me. It's, it's, and this is, it's like, it's a lot of processing thought. It's a lot of that type of stuff. And I'm going to encourage you, whatever category you find yourself in, to continue to, continue to trust the word of the Lord Continue to apply what God is bringing to you and allow messages like this to shape the person that you are. Uh, I want to pray and we'll dive into this. Father, I thank you for the opportunity uh, to share your word. God, we're going to, today we're literally sharing about the word of God. So God, I pray that truth would be revealed. God, in our hearts, in our minds, God, we, right now, we lay at our feet areas that we've really struggled with believing. And, and it's safe to say here, God, there's some areas even in our lives as Christians or potential Christians that we struggle to believe. God, the big question in a lot of our hearts and in a lot of our lives is, what is true? So God, I pray that today through the authority of the word of God and through the revelation power of the Holy Spirit that you would reveal truth to us. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. The theme for this series uh, has really been coming out of Colossians 2.8, the theme verse. And it says this, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, uh, according to human tradition. So like, be on guard that empty deceit and philosophy don't take us captive according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. This whole series, we've got a goal and it's a goal for you, it's a goal for me, it's a goal for us as a church. And our goal is this, it's to be informed and equipped to hold fast and to, to hold fast to truth, but also to declare biblical truth in a loving and in a logical way. So what we've been doing over the last several weeks, and we will continue for the next several weeks, is we've been taking um, 10 statements from a progressive Christian's um, book that was written. These are 10 statements that we do not agree with. I do have to preface that every time we start this because uh, they, they are attractive. Uh, they're human tradition. They're empty deceit. They're attractive in one sense, but they are completely, uh, at best, they are gross error. At worst, they're heretical. And we feel a responsibility to declare biblical truth and to equip you to hold to biblical truth, but the man, a man named Philip Gully wrote a book called If the Church Were Christian, and essentially he laid out 10 commandments of what uh, a progressive Christian is going to or should live by. These are 10 statements that we are incrementally talking about, um, trying to pull back uh, the curtain a little bit and reveal what we believe to be biblical truth on. Today we're going to discuss two statements. How we're going to do it, I'm going to give you both of the statements. They're going to be on the screens again. This is not the moment to take your phone out and take pictures because, again, we do not agree with these statements. But the two progressive Christian statements are this. Gracious behavior is more important than right belief. Think about it for a second. Like, 
it's really important that we read these things, we process these things, and like what I'm asking you to do is like see if you agree with these things. Gracious behavior is more important than right belief. And the second one is this, inviting questions is more important than supplying answers. Now, I want to say this because I think it's really important. A lot of times people who say these things, a lot of times progressive Christians who say these things have often had bad experiences with Christians, um, with churches. Many times they've, they've had truth presented to them, but that truth has lacked grace. And there's this defensiveness or this, this, this protection mode that tries to come into play right here. And I really believe this is why Peter writes in one of his letters, and it's actually in 1 Peter 3.15, he says that we need to be able to give a reason for our faith. Like, we need to be able to explain our faith. It's called apologetics. That's, this, is, this series would be labeled a cultural apologetic message series. And Peter says we need to share the truth. We need to have a reason for our faith, but we need to do it with gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect. Have you ever had conversations with people and, and like they say the right thing, but they say it the wrong way? And it's just like, you don't even want to hear it. Like, like, okay, I know what you're saying, but forget you, dude. I'm going to choose not to believe it just because you're a punk. Just because the way you said it, like, like, I reject it, not because it's not true, but because I don't like you. I don't like the way you said it. In a progressive Christian's mindset, it's actually all about delivery. It's got little to do with the subject of the matter. If you say something graciously because of the world and the structure that we live in, if it checks an emotional box, then what that does is that becomes truth. Today, we're going to talk a lot about this. Uh, the progressive Christian statements that we just read, what they're going to do is they're going to lead people to only want to receive grace and not truth. So we're going to talk about this. I will say this, I'm going to stick very tight to my notes today. And that's for two reasons. It's so that we stay on some sort of time schedule uh, because there's a lot of content here. Uh, myself and the, four other the three other communicators for this weekend, we were in a message prep meeting Tuesday until 9.30 at night discussing this. It was one of the old 13-hour message prep meetings. I don't recommend to anybody, just so you know. We got nine and a half pages distilled to five pages. Saying something ungraciously doesn't mean that it's not true. And I think it's important that we realize that just like when someone says something graciously doesn't mean that that's true. And we are in a new philosophical arena with the world that we live in, with the culture that we live in, to where truth is up for grabs in a much different way. Truth is interpreted very differently. Ultimately, these two statements that we just talked about or that were presented to us uh, through progressive Christianity are ultimately challenging truth. And what they're doing is they're challenging the doctrine of the authority in the Bible. That's a, big, that's a big fight, if we really want to think about that. You're challenging the authority of the Bible. And I would say that with a progressive Christian, 
this is probably one of the biggest conflicts or the biggest intersections for Christianity and a progressive Christian is what they believe about the Word of God, about the Bible, whether or not it's true, uh, whether or not it's authoritative, uh, whether or not it's the inspired Word of God, uh, whether or not it's even relevant today. This is a major point of conflict. Every week, we have shared either a video, like from a TikTok philosopher, or uh, one week we share different uh, people and how they say certain things. But one of the one of the leading one of the thought leaders in the progressive Christian world uh, posted this recently, as far as the Bible goes. This is a guy named uh, Derek the Heretic, and uh, he is a progressive Christian. You know, it's funny, but people are absorbing everything that he is saying. The Bible is no more divinely inspired than you or me. It's an anthology of people's experiences of the divine and the world. Sure, let's glean truth and wisdom from the scriptures, but the issue is when the author's perspectives are elevated to disprove the validity of our own. This is one of those one of those social media accounts that actually doesn't have a massive amount of followers, but one thing I like to study is analytics when it comes to social media. I think he has about 65,000 followers. Some of you are like, wow, that's a lot. That's not a lot for social media. But his share ratio compared to his follow ratio is through the roof, which means that he is heavily indoctrinating his followers. And he's indoctrinating from a place of church hurt. This post on, I believe, Instagram had a 10% share ratio, which is, it's, it's astronomical. It, it's, it's unreal how many shares this got. But it is challenging the word of God. Alyssa Childers says this. She says, progressive Christians view the Bible as a record of what people believe about God in the times and places in which they lived rather than the inspired and the authoritative word of God. She said it's not uncommon for a progressive Christian to express disagreement with uh, a biblical writer or to reject the passages that they find unhelpful. In fact, progressive leader Richard Rohr encourages Christians to ignore, deny, and even openly oppose scriptures that are imperialistic, punitive, exclusionary, or tribal. This matters, she says this, this matters because if we give ourselves permission to deny or ignore the scriptures that don't fit into our preconceived ideas about who God is and how he acts in the world, this is the key right here, we will have effectively transferred the authority for truth from the Bible to our own thoughts, our own feelings, and our own perspective. This is dangerous ground because when we deny the scriptures, we are left with human reason. We are left with a lot of questions. And can we be honest? Sometimes our reasoning or our intuition is right. But how many of you have had thoughts that were wrong? 
If we are putting all of our hope, all of our beliefs, all of our truth based on our feelings or our emotions or our own ability to reason these things out, it is going to lead us to a spot that simply asks, what is truth? What is it? It's like out of reach. It's, it's beyond grasp. This isn't a new thing, though. In the New Testament, there's a man named Pontius Pilate who is, through a series of events, it's really where Jesus is about to be judged unfairly, but he's face-to-face with Jesus, and Jesus has made some bold claims, and his followers are making really bold claims about who he is, about him being the way, the truth, the life, and Jesus is face-to-face with Pontius Pilate, and he says this to Pontius. He says, I have come into the world, he said, to bear witness to the truth. He's like, if you look at me, you're going to see the truth. He says, everyone who is of truth listens to my voice. And this man that's literally right in front of Jesus, face to face, his response to such a, a bold claim is this. What is truth? Pilate says to him, what is truth? And I believe that some of you are asking the same question. So out of care for you, out of consideration for you, instead of just acting like this question isn't lingering inside this auditorium or in the lobby, let's talk about it. What is is truth. The definition of the word truth, if you just go look it up, is this. It says, truth is reality. It's actuality. Um, in the Bible, it comes from this, it, it's a Hebrew word, actually. It's, it's emeth, E-M-E-T-H, and it speaks of a firmness or a constancy or something that's reliable, something that's, uh, another word attached to truth is something, it's duration, like it is steady, it is true. This implies this everlasting substance and something that can be relied upon. Something that has stood the test of time and will continue to stand the test of time. In a progressive Christian's mind, but also in in some of our minds. In some of our minds, we think when we hear words like that, truth is restrictive. It's rigid. It's, it's unmoving. And for some of us, that builds a great confidence. And for some of us, that's really, really frustrating. Something that it is this way, it is no other way. A lot of, a lot of people would say, oh, that's based on personality type. And I believe that to be a measure of truth <laughs> to that. But, but what is it some person, so my personality type really hates to be told what to do. Like just straight up. And sometimes if I'm told what to do, I just don't want to do it because I got told to do it. And a lot of you are like that too. Like, like, and like, hey, that's a part of me that the Lord is continually sanctifying and, and working out in my life. Like, hey, is it, is it okay in church to talk about like how we actually are? Uh, okay, I realized I said that and I was like, oh, was I, we weren't supposed to be honest today. But like the word truth for many people It's frustrating because it says this is the only way. And remember when progressive Christians are prioritizing gracious behavior over 
restrictive truth, it gets really frustrating. Imagine this. If all of us decided to play a board game, I don't know what board game that would be, but imagine what that would be like. All of us playing a board game together. We get around the table, we're enjoying ourselves, and all of a sudden we start to play this game, but the person whose turn it is decides, I don't like the rules of this game. I'm going to play by my own rules. And because we're gracious to one another, okay, go on. You play by your own rules. Well, we're playing Monopoly. I actually think the jail is a good thing. I'm going to get paid $100 every time I go to jail. What? Well, that's your rules. Gracious behavior. Do what you want to do. And the next person says, I don't really like your rules. I don't like the rule book. I'm going to play by my own rules. Imagine what a board game would look like if we played that all the way out. What's some words? Just out of curiosity, how would you describe the atmosphere? What? Y'all, that's the only word I wrote in my notes. <laughs> like, like, even in the lobby, imagine like, what that board game looks like. It's straight up chaos. It's total chaos. Like You're not even playing the game. And that game is not going to lead to any sort of real results. According to the progressive Christian statements, rules should be changed to make people feel good even at the expense of truth. But don't be alarmed, because this is how it's always been. I don't want to be the alarmist that says this is all brand new because we see that this is really the way it's always been, because there's something deep in the hearts of mankind. But we see at the end of Judges, chapter 21, in the scriptures, this same thing taking place far before we are here today. It says this, in those days there was no king in Israel, there was no authority, there was no rule. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. In Proverbs, it says this. It was written as the book of wisdom says this. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. The scripture's been telling us this whole time. Hey, we're going to want to do our own thing, but we need a rule book. We need authority. We need structure. We need truth. Order is good. And we need truth for there to be order and stability. How do we know what's actually right? How do we know what's actually wrong? How do we know what truth actually is? Is truth concrete? Is it unmovable? Or is it fluid? Is it okay to say, hey, your truth is good for you and your truth is good for you even if they don't match? Or is that going to end up being like the board game that we just discussed? There's two different words that circulate around this word truth and it's objective and subjective. And I think it's really important because when it comes to these conversations, we have to have an understanding of these words, but we have to have a belief around these words too. The word objective is this. Objective truth essentially would be this. It's based on real facts, and it's not influenced by personal beliefs or feelings. So really, it doesn't matter how I feel about this. It's the truth. It doesn't matter if I want it to be like this. It is the way it is. It's Reality comes from without, not from within. 
Progressive Christians do not subscribe to objective truth. It doesn't exist. Truth is based on what you want truth to be. The other word is subjective. This essentially means that it's influenced by or based on personal beliefs or feelings uh, rather than facts. It's the you do you, like that, that idea. Again, if we subscribe to that belief, it's going to lead us down a very dangerous path. I like to think about gravity. Not the song by John Mayer, but actual gravity. It doesn't matter if you believe gravity to be true or not. It's true. It doesn't matter if I want it to be true. It doesn't matter if it makes me feel weird. If, if we tied you up, if I had Sam, my son, on a rope, and we connected it to, to that light bar, and we pulled him all the way up, he could be screaming, Dad, church, I don't believe in gravity. You really should, son. I don't. I don't like the way it makes me feel. I don't like it. You know what? I choose not to believe. You can believe it, but I choose not to. That's subjective truth. But the moment that we let go of that rope that is holding his subjective truth Objective truth will become a reality. To a progressive Christian, everything is subject to interpretation. Everything. And they say that's the truth. That's how it should be. And I believe if you follow that logic all the way, the claim that everything is subjective is actually a very objective claim. That hurt a few of your brains. And that's, no, that's okay. Let's go there. If there is a definitive truth that everything is subjective, there's no way except that there is a whole bunch of different ways. Everything is subjective. Well, you just made an objective truth claim that there's the only way. The logic actually self-defeats itself. And I actually believe that this is what we see playing out in our culture today. Everyone's seeking to live out their own rules, their own truth, and everyone's way of living is right in their own eyes. And as long as you don't mess with their stuff, we're all fine. But I don't believe we were ever meant to live by our own truth. Which leads us to the question, where does truth actually come from? If it doesn't come from within, if it's not subjective, then where does it actually come from? As Christians, we believe that the source of truth is God. We, we believe that to be objective. We don't have time in this message to make a claim about God's existence, but I'm really proud of our church that we've done a lot of work in the past. Uh, if you go online, you can go look at our What Do You Believe series, and you've got four weeks on who is God. You can take your time and digest that stuff and let it speak to you. But we believe that because God is a reality, that he is the source for truth. And we believe that God's um, word, we believe that God's truth is 
clearly expressed in his written word. Clearly expressed. God's word is the rule, is the authority. We were talking about these things. God's word is that in a Christian's life. And these two progressive Christian statements are looking at and seeking to undermine the authority of the word of God. Take its legs out. Um, this is another one of those Jenga blocks. You cannot take out the authority of the word of God and have Christianity. If we say, if we subscribe to Derek the heretic's thinking or thought process that the Bible is a good historical book but it lacks validity and truth and it's no longer a rule of life, then we are left to our own feelings. Christianity does not exist without the authority of the word of God. This is the Jenga block that we cannot, that we cannot remove. And this is something that the progressive Christian has been doing for a long time. And it's been taking place all throughout history. This is the same thing as a serpent in the garden. Did God's word really say that? Did God really say those words that you cannot eat? Maybe, maybe that was a truth for him. Maybe he can't eat it, but you can. Here's the reason he's really saying this. And progressive Christians are taking the word of God and saying, this is the reason that the word of God is being shared like this. It's used as an abusive, a manipulative tool, a controlling mechanism. And sometimes we think that in our own minds. But if we believe that the word of God is true, then it is changing the person that we are. And sometimes change and confrontation with the word of God directly to us is uncomfortable. And I read something this week in the Word, and I was like, ugh, that's, I don't like that. You ever read the Bible and be like, eh, <laughs> I don't like that. I don't like the way that makes me feel. Christians believe that the Bible is the Word of God. But have you ever wondered if the Bible is actually the Word of God? Again, this is taboo. Can't go there, Pastor. Last week, we encouraged some people to take pictures. Well, we had a bunch of scriptures on the screen. It was about the atonement. And the atonement, uh, we had, there's probably 12 other verses that you could study the atonement. And I said, hey, if you want to read more about the atonement, take a picture of it. And standing right here, I saw 80% of the people that took a picture were under the age of 21. And it was one of those observation moments. And I thought to myself, that's the generation that's going to struggle with the atonement. If I did the same thing, the exact same thing would take place. We were at student night last week. And we had like 110 students show up to a student night at our Gulfport location. It was, it was wild. It was, it was crazy. We were sitting there and having a conversation with a couple of friends on stage. And while this conversation is going on, my heart's literally breaking for the next generation because of the fight that's on their hands. The fight's different. Uh, they, will be, they will have to be people that can actually stand for truth and know why they believe what they believe. It's no longer the heyday of Christianity. It's no longer going to be easy in the United States even to be a Christian. 
So series like this are equipping us for these moments. And I think it's important that we actually ask the questions that they're already asking internally. And if as a church we can provide answers, biblical answers, reason for faith in a respectful and a gracious and in a loving way. But if we stop avoiding certain questions, I think we'll equip not just our students but our church to continue to be a church that reaches people, that creates environments, that helps people know God, grow in Christ, and go in the power of the Holy Spirit until Jesus returns or until we breathe our last breath. So let's ask the question. Is the Bible actually the word of God? Christianity hinges on this. Wayne Grudem, who's a theologian who wrote Systematic Theology, it's, it's high-quality content for nearly all questions, it says the authority of the Scripture means that all the words in Scripture are God's words in such a way that to disbelieve or disobey any word of Scripture is to disbelieve or disobey God. So, okay, that's a strong claim. <laughs> How do we know that the Bible is actually God's word? And this is how we genuinely believe this. And this is why this series is so important, the way that it works. It's, it's sequential in nature. We need this to get to this. We need this to get to this. The Bible contains the words of Jesus in the Gospels. Go with me. Two weeks ago or three weeks ago, we talked about Jesus as God, the divinity, the deity of God is found in Jesus Christ. So if Jesus' words are in the Gospels, Jesus who is God, then divine words are present in the Gospels. If we believe that Jesus is God and that his words and his life are in the Bible, then we have to believe. Logic suggests we have to believe that the Bible contains the authority of God because it's Jesus' words. It's such an amazing tension I feel in this moment. And it's not, don't get me wrong, it's not a tension like um, you're frustrated. It's the mental gymnastics that some of us are having to perform right now. We need to change our diet a little bit. This is, going, this is going to stretch some of us, and stretching is good. Let me say it like this. Since we believe that Jesus is God, and God's words are authoritative, then we also must believe that everything that he says about the word of God is true. Jesus is God. He is truth. He is authoritative. In John 1, you see mention of this. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. It says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The authority of the Bible rests squarely on the authority of Jesus Christ himself. And we see the authors and the writers of this, but then it's like, okay, so I can run that route and I'll subscribe just to the red letters. 
the words of Christ. Like, like forget all the old, forget everything past Jesus' words. The red letters is where I'm going to live. But Jesus himself, so if we've made the jump to the red letters, we say, okay, I can go that. Jesus himself speaks of the authority in the Old Testament scriptures. So he puts his stamp of approval on them. He says, hey, this matters. This is the authority too. Jesus viewed the Old Testament scriptures as the holy word of God. So now we can't just say the red letters. We have to subscribe to the Old Testament. It's in Luke 24. He says this. It says, he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then he references back. He puts a stamp of approval in verse 27. It says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. This is when he was talking to people that were struggling to believe that he was who he says he was. And he begins, this is the road to Emmaus. Post-resurrection, he's walking with those who once knew him in a certain way. And I don't know how long this journey was. Boy, the, the money I would pay to be able to hear this conversation. It says that Jesus goes through the Old Testament with his followers, with his friends. And he says, remember what Moses said? Shares the story, gets to the end of the story, and he says, that's me. It says, remember what the prophet said? Prophesying that one day a Messiah. Remember Isaiah, the virgin birth? Prophecy. One day this person. It's me. It's me. We just read the road to Emmaus in a few verses and we move on. This could have been a few hour conversation that moment by moment Jesus was revealing himself and the validity of the Old Testament, what everybody had grown up on this. Ray Stedman is a theologian. He said this, we need only to read the New Testament to see that the Lord Jesus cast the mantle of his authority over all of the Old Testament and by an anticipation over all of the new. So the red letters are the authority of God the Old Testament is the authority of God. How do we know that the Bible is actually God's word? The words that the apostles wrote. This is post-red letters, okay? Paul, Peter, John, like the authors of the rest of the story. The words that the apostles wrote in the New Testament, they're founded on the authority of Jesus as well. Remember, Jesus is the hinge pin the authority of Christ. In Matthew 28, 18, and we're starting to land the plane here. So if you're in the lobby, we're, we're close. Some of you, you're like, yes. This is the Great Commission. This is the moment where Jesus is about to give final instructions. Jesus has been crucified. He's been buried He's resurrected, and he's talking with his followers. This is, this is moments before ascension, before he goes back with his Father in heaven, and this is what he says. He says, Jesus comes to his friends, to his followers, 
and he says to them, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So he's possessing this authority that he has. And he says, now you go. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. He promises the Holy Spirit the seal of the authority that Christ possesses, and he gives it to those who are following him. Imagine a relay race right now. This is the moment where Jesus hands the baton off to his followers. And you know what his followers do? They take it. They take it. A relay race is ineffective if you're not holding the baton. The baton is the thing that represents the person that carries all authority. It don't matter if you're running in circles in a relay race and you're not carrying the baton, you're not even on the team. Jesus passes the baton of the relay race and says, now you guys go. What you're doing, you're carrying the message, the hope of the world. You're carrying everything now with you. Go in the authority and the power of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus, God in flesh, gives his authority to his disciples. Those are the apostles. He gives them the authority. And they take the truth of Jesus and they write God-inspired letters to the church. These are not man's opinions. These are not, oh, it'd be cool if we did this. These are God-inspired letters to the church that we still have today, that we can still receive the same way that, that the first readers of these letters from Paul, from the apostles, the way that they first read them and they were, they were hand-stamped, they were sealed by Jesus saying, he's got the authority to write this letter. We still read the same letters today and they can possess and they should possess and as Christians, we must demand that they possess the same authority today. Peter who was standing with Jesus as Jesus was saying, go. Peter himself confirms Paul as a trustworthy author of his epistles. So it's not like just Paul went out on a whim. No, Peter, who received instruction straight from Jesus, he says, this man, Paul, and Paul writes, Peter writes, and they share, and their letters are in the Word of God. You can also go to our What Do You Believe series, and you can see and hear and watch messages about the historical evidences that the Bible is true, the archaeological evidences that the Bible is true. Like, all that stuff is out there, and it's a good resource, but I think this is just as much true that we see that the Bible is authoritative because Jesus himself is there. In 2 Peter, this is how Peter endorses Paul. He says, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. Wisdom given him from an outside source. As he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters, 
there are some things in them that are hard to understand. Which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. It says, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Church, Christians, we can't pull the Jenga block out of the authority of the Bible, even when it's uncomfortable. As Northwood Church, but as Christians, this is our response to those two progressive claims. We do believe that the Bible is the authoritative word of God. And therefore, it is the reliable truth for our lives. And when we read the Bible, we allow it to shape the person that we are. We play by the rules in the Bible. Even when we want to play by some other rules. We allow that to be our guide in our life. That's what lordship is. That's what allowing or submitting our lives to something else is. And I'm telling you this, we need to hang on tight to this teaching in particular for the next three teachings. We're going to be talking over the next three weeks about church authority, structure, government. That's going to be fun. <laughs> I'm going to be in Honduras. <laughs> We're going to talk about biblical sexuality. September 11th, NC Kids will be open through the age of 11, just so you know, and we're going to highly encourage you to be there. And then the last week, we'll talk about eternity. But those three things hinge completely on the authority of the Word of God. Would you guys bow your heads with me for just a minute? God, we're here, and we've heard, we've received God, I pray that you would take all the words that were shared today and, God, that you would solidify certain things in our life. God, I pray over our church. God, in this room, in the lobby, God, those that are listening on podcasts right now, God, I pray that, God, that you would reveal the truth of this message. God, persuasive words cannot change the hearts of mankind. And, God, I, I'm, God, I'm humbly at the spot where I can truly say I've done the best that I can, but without what you do, God, this is, this is meaningless. So God, I'm praying that you would illuminate the truth of these words today. And God, that there would be an unwavering confidence in the word and in the truth and in the message of Jesus. God, today we choose to respond by saying we believe and we put our hope and our confidence and our faith in who you are and in the word of God. And we we just, I would encourage you in this moment to simply say, God, as the word of God confronts me, I'll allow it to change me, even when it's uncomfortable. Even when I want the truth to be something else, I'll submit to this ultimate authoritative truth because it's God-breathed. God, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. How we wanted to respond today is through worship. One more song about 
Jesus and about the authority. So I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet with me. If you're in the lobby, stand to your feet as well. And uh, we're going to sing. And I'm going to ask you as we worship to simply respond. Some of the words are really going to speak well to what we've just heard. For some of you in this room, your response needs to be like this moment where you just talk with God and just re-surrender, resubmit. For some of you, your response today, and hear this, is you need, you need prayer. You came into this room today thinking, I need prayer over something in my life. I want to pastor you in this moment. If you're in this room and you're saying, today, I really need someone to pray with me, to agree with me, either in here or in the lobby. If you would just be confident enough right now just to lift your hand. I'm not going to make you stand up or come up here, but we want to acknowledge you. If you see people around you right now with hands raised, what I'm going to ask you to do is just to gather around them and pray for them as we begin to sing this song. So if you've got a person beside you with a hand raised, pray with them. And I think that's an important move for us with our next step. But all of us, our next step is this. Let's respond in worship to the authority of God. Father, as we worship, would you inhabit the praises of our people? In Jesus' name.